Message Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. Today's sermon from Kyle Perkins continues the January Greater Vision series. It's titled, Vision of the Present. What's going on, church? (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Perkins. Uh, I lead the campus ministry here in the Lansing Church with my fiance, Maya. Yeah, so we're continuing our series on greater vision. And uh, last week, Joel discussed uh, the vision of the past. You know, we, we learned that uh, if we want greater vision from God, then, then we must consider uh, how God has worked in our past lives, uh, even when we do not uh, see it at the time. Uh, and if we have seen how God has worked before, then we should trust that God is presently working now and will continue uh, to work in the future. But we will not be able to attain a clear vision of our future from God unless we have a clear vision of our past and present lives. You know, God God always has uh, the bigger picture in mind, and he has a clear vision of the the past, the present, and the future. And and we have yet to see the bigger picture, but we can do our best to, to slowly see it uh, with the word that God has provided for us. Uh, I know we recently talked about having this spiritual eye exam. Remember, Joel talked about this before. Um, you know, looking through the Psalms to stop, listen, think, cleanse, pray, and seek. And, you know, this is, this is something we can use to, to even meditate on God's word, to even have a clear vision uh, for our lives. But if, if we want to receive greater vision from God, then we need to be cognizant of what is happening presently in our lives. And today's lesson is vision of the present. So we'll be looking at uh, three points in regards to this, uh, this topic. If we want to have vision of the present, we need to have a humble vision of ourselves, uh, a graceful vision of others, and a hopeful vision of suffering. So our first point here, a humble vision of yourself. So, you know, if we want a a clear vision of the present, then we need an accurate depiction of our own character and spirituality. I was uh, thinking back when I uh, lived back in Milwaukee, I I lived in a, a brother's household with 11 other guys, and there, we would have these times uh, during, during the nights after our campus devotional, sometimes we would have fight nights. <laughs> Rhonda knows, he was a part of those. <laughs> but we would uh, grab boxing gloves, and we would have guys spar against each other. Not, not even spar, we'd, we'd go all out, like no headgear. We'd do three one-minute rounds, and, and we'd fight each other. Uh, and it was, it was awesome. It built camaraderie for the brothers. Um, I had... One of my first fights, I, I won. I, I won by knockout. The guy didn't actually get knocked out, but he just he called, called quits the first round. Um, so I, I had a, a win under my belt. And people were like, okay, you know, we can't mess with KP. We can't mess with Kyle. But there is this one brother who was determined uh, to, to pick a fight with me. He really wanted to, to have a boxing match with me. And he'd always bother me every, every couple months. He said, Kyle, let's, let's have a boxing match. Let's fight. 
And, I, and I've seen this brother fight before. He had a couple fights, and when I, when I saw him fight, he just seemed like a lousy fighter. I'm like, bro, like, I just feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you if I fight you, bro. <laughs> but it got to a point where he kept bothering me, bothering me about it, where I was like, okay, fine, you know, we can, we can fight. So we set a date, and I didn't know this, but two weeks prior to our fight, every day he was doing push-ups, he was working out, uh, his roommate told me that he was practicing his form, and he, was, he would say to himself, I got to knock out Kyle. I got to knock out Kyle. So, so the, the night that we fight, we go at it. Um, we go all three rounds. Um, but I, I just, I completely underestimated him. He came in ready to, to really try to kick my butt. And he won after the three rounds. The judges voted, and, and he was the winner. <laughs> um, but I, I share this story because I think about how I just, I, I overestimated my own skill and I underestimated the skill of my friend. Uh, and I, I lost the fight uh, because of it. And I think similarly, uh, our proud view of our own abilities can, can leave us prone to defeat in our own spiritual walk. You know, we need a humble view of ourselves if we are to receive a clear vision of the present. In Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5, it says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In Revelation 3, verse 17, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And Romans 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we see here the Bible shares a lot of insight and warnings on pride. Why? Because like me, there are people that are prideful, arrogant, and opinionated people. And, you know, our pride and our ego keeps us from seeing the ugly parts of our true selves. It keeps us from having a a clear vision of the present that God would like to share with each of us. So I think it's good for us to ask the question, man, how clear is our vision of ourselves? There are a few practicals that I I want us to walk through here, some things as to to help us to think about whether we have a humble vision of ourselves. The first thing I think about is asking God. In Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we can take time to actually ask God what he sees in our character. When we create space and are intentional about asking God questions about ourselves, I believe he will help us to have a clear perspective of ourselves. Another thing I think about is asking spiritual friends. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, it just says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I think we have to ask ourselves, when's the last time 
we ask a close spiritual friend what we can change in our character. The truth can really hurt when it comes from someone close to us, right? But I think it's important for us to hear it if we want a humble vision of ourselves. The last thing I think about is reflecting on our own actions in life. It says in Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You know, we have to pay attention to the fruit of our own actions to reveal our hearts. You know, when we do not have a humble vision of ourselves, our vision of what lies ahead is completely blurred. We have to be focused on having humble hearts if we want to see things clearly. The next point I have here is a graceful vision of others. You know, I think about how so much of God's grace is given to us continually despite our imperfections and mistakes. However, when when there is an opportunity for us to give grace to other people, I think we can often fall short in that area. It's not always easy for us. If we want to have a clear vision of the present, then we need to have a graceful vision of those around us. In Hebrews 12, verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's crazy, right? It says that, man, if we have any root of bitterness that grows in us, it can defile other people around us. Our bitter hearts can cut us off uh, from having current or future relationships in our lives. Our bitterness, can, it can blur our ability to see people the way God wants us to. This is a, a picture of um, me, me and my roommates. We, this is when I was uh, interning in uh, Latvia. I, I did an internship for the youth and family ministry in the church there. And these are, these are the two guys that I roomed with. Uh, the guy in the middle is Adrian. Uh, he still lives in, in Latvia right now. And the, the guy on the right is my buddy Joseph from Milwaukee. And um, my relationship with Joseph specifically was very bumpy uh, when we were working together for, for the teen ministry. Um, we, we didn't see eye to eye. We had different perspectives about how uh, the teen ministry should be, be ran. And uh, yeah, we just we, there were many moments where we were frustrated with each other. We uh, said unkind words to each other. Um, and it was, it was difficult uh, for us to, 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 see, to see things the same way and to be on the same page about things. And eventually got to a point where um, both of us had reached out to a close friend who wasn't even in the country at the time. He was, he was uh, in the States. He was back in Milwaukee. And we both messaged him at the same time in separate places. <laughs> and uh, um, he sent us an audio message um, to both of us. And he basically said, um, like, he, he didn't even know the dynamics or the details of our roles uh, in the youth and family ministry. But he said, if we, if we want to have a, a, mini, a meaningful impact on the Latvia church, then we needed to be focused on loving each other first. 
And, you know, I think both of us had to kind of wrestle with that for a second, you know. Um, but we got to a point where we tried to humble out and we apologized to one another. Um, you know, it, we began to have a more graceful vision of each other. And as a result, we were able to love the Latvian church the way God wanted us to. So, you know, I think it's important that, that we consider, man, you know, how can we be aware of bitterness that, that we can hold towards people? And I think one way is we, we have to pay attention to people in our lives that, that maybe we have a tendency to avoid. And I'll be honest, I think there have, been, there have been many people, not only in the world, but also in the church, that I have specifically avoided because of past hurts um, that I've held on to. And I think about the times where I would put on a fake face or pretend to be friendly to them, you know, only to, to worm my way past them and to carry on with my day. And as I look back, you know, I, I regret not resolving uh, some of the issues I had with particular individuals, you know, the people in our lives that, that we find maybe annoying or people that have sinned against us. We have to show grace and love, love those people. Again, similarly to my friend Joseph, you know, I, I, I couldn't stand him at times. You know, we, we had fights and we got upset with each other. But I finally got to a point where I softened my heart and uh, I built a stronger friendship with him that I, I wasn't even able to perceive earlier on in our relationship. You know, he's, now he's one of, uh, uh, one of the good friends in my, in my life currently. So we have to have a graceful vision for others if we want to have a clear vision of the present. Last point I have here is a hopeful vision of suffering. In James 1, uh, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our view on how we suffer has a profound impact on the vision that God wants us to have of the present. You know, it says here, we must have pure joy in the midst of suffering. I don't know about you, but I find it quite difficult to find joy when I suffer. <laughs> um, you know, exactly two years ago today, I experienced uh, my first breakup in a relationship. Um, and uh, things are okay now. We're actually back together, so she's sitting over there. <laughs> but um, at the time... <laughs> Uh, man, I was just experiencing so much emotional suffering. <laughs> um, you know, I remember the first couple weeks after she had broken up with me, I, man, I would cry myself to sleep and I'd wake up and I'm like, man, Maya's not my girlfriend anymore. <laughs> um, and I was just an emotional wreck. After those few months, there were brothers that had to help me out and, uh, you know, had to get me back on my feet. And, you know, I think in that time, I, I began to realize that God was trying to show me that, that I was idolizing Maya too much um, and that I needed to focus on my relationship with him. 
you know, in, in the months that, that, that followed, uh, it got to a point, I think after, yeah, 10 months, I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust your plan. You know, I really thought that, that Maya was going to be in the future of my life, but if that's not a part of your plan, then, then I'm fine with that. I'll try to be open to someone else in the future. And then around that time, I get a call from Maya, and we start talking again. <laughs> and a month later after that, we get back together. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, the whole, the whole reason why we had broken up, I mean, Maya, um, she felt like she had to grow in her relationship with God. And I think there were things that I had to see, too, that, that I needed to, to grow in leading our relationship and, and, again, just building my relationship with God. But I believe that the whole situation was a part of God's bigger plan. You know, even though it did not feel like it at the time, you know, I wasn't feeling joyful, but, but God was moving. And I know now that God was helping us to fix our priorities with him over our priorities with each other. I believe God also made it so that once we were back together on his terms, as opposed to our own, we would also be able to have an even stronger impact on his kingdom as a spiritual couple. So even in the midst of suffering, we have to trust that God is moving and be intentional about being joyful. Uh, recently, I uh, read this, this book, The End of the Christian Life, that Joel lent to me. And the, the book is, um, it's, a, it's about death uh, and how our modern culture usually deals with death. And, and with death, the author talks about how we should view our mortal lives as Christians. And one part uh, of the book specifically that stuck out to me is, was when the author spoke on utilizing this idea of partialization in our, our daily lives. He talked about using partialization in a way where we can focus on enjoying the little things that God has blessed us with in life. You know, sometimes we can get so swept up in this idea that our our lives are the center of the universe when really we are these minuscule parts of life and God is the actual center of the universe and he is in charge of everything going on. I just want to read, read this excerpt here in, in, uh, in this book. I think it just paints a, a cool picture of, of what he means when he's talking about partialization. He says, I've been learning in new ways from my son Nathaniel that partialization can be beautiful. When, Na when, when, when Nathaniel was six, I was at the park with him and our greyhound who kept pointing her nose like an arrow toward one squirrel after another. Even they were already high up in the century-old oak trees. Please, come and help me, Nathaniel said, pulling the dog and me over to a clearing filled with acorns. Help me find the acorn caps, he said, only the clean caps with no dirt in them. As I bent over and sorted through the acorns to find the clean caps, I saw how Nathaniel's intense focus opened up a world of detail that I had been missing. I was just sitting in the park thinking about what would come next in the day. Meanwhile, he had discovered that the tiny brown acorn tops have intricate patterns like those found in a finely woven quilt, and that each pattern was distinct, singular. Amazingly, the acorn tops usually broke off cleanly from their nut, leaving a hollowed-out top that looked like a pointy hat. Nathaniel and I gathered some into a pile, admiring them as we collected a dozen, two dozen. Do you think I should take this one home? I asked, showing him a cap 
with particularly fine detail. Yes, put it in your pocket. Earlier in the fall, Nathaniel had discovered cicada shells in this park, the, the outer shells of grasshopper-like insects that provide atmospheric music in the evenings. The cicada shells look like little bug ghosts reflecting the body and legs of the bug with delicate intricacy. They're beautiful, Nathaniel would say, grabbing them from the trees where they were stuck as if the bugs were frozen in their shells. He was so convinced of their beauty that he gathered a quantity of the shells and tried to sell them to earn money. He had limited success with that. I had missed these treasures. I hadn't seen them. I hadn't noticed. But Nathaniel taught me how to filter out the rest of the park with its people and dogs and grass and trees and move beyond the urgent to-do list in my head. Looking closely, we found the treasures of acorn caps and cicada shells. Nathaniel practiced partialization. In these moments when he was not trying to take in the whole park, instead he zeroed in on the small patterns, and in them he found beauty and joy. As an adult, I'm aware of the dangers, the moral decay, the seeming chaos of politics and the news, which do not appear to bother my son at his age. Can I overcome this double-mindedness, this double consciousness of the beauty of small things, as well as the fear evoking uncertainty of adult life. So I share this to say that even in the chaos of life, in the trials of the hardship, when we are suffering, we can enjoy the little things that God blesses us with. You know, we do not need to stress or overwhelm ourselves with what's going wrong in life. We have to trust that God has everything under control. We cannot allow our current vision to be blurred in the midst of suffering. So, if we are to receive greater vision from God, then we must consider whether we have these three specific lenses in our back pocket. We should take time to consider whether we have a humble vision of ourselves, a graceful vision of others, and a hopeful vision of suffering. I think if we keep these in mind, God will help us to have a clear vision of the present. Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.